This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are back broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. We got a good content flow coming up this week. Two interviews. One with Sina Rahmani from The East is a Podcast. We'll be discussing Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and Iran. Also, Karen Geyer, host of On Belief and On Grief, podcasts about cults and death. And while those are very interesting topics, we will primarily be talking about Karen's country. She's Canadian. We will be discussing her impish prime minister... His uh, racist scandal, the blackface <laughs> photos, the multiple blackface photos. You might say that we're the, discussing the cult of Justin Trudeau. There we go. To make sure you don't miss any of the content we're putting out this week, it's a good time to subscribe at patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month, you get access to everything we put out. All week long. Plus, you get your own haiku written for you, read on the air. We'll read some uh, read some haiku at the end of today's show. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. You know, I saw a quote today that perfectly sums up how unprepared Democrats have been all along and still remain to confront Donald Trump. Uh, This was Congressman Ted Lieu, and he was talking uh, about, I guess, impeachment hearings or the preliminary impeachment hearings, the hearings to determine whether or not they're going to pursue impeachment, I guess is what they are. Uh, He's talking about how the rules need to be changed to address contempt and fines for witnesses saying the Trump administration, quote, brought a machete to a knife fight. (laughs) And the Democrats are, quote, getting shredded, brought a machete to a knife fight. They brought a big knife to a knife fight. And that's not fair, according to the Democrats. <laughs> Isn't it, the quote is they brought a gun right. to a knife fight. Right. Ted which, Lieu is complaining that the White which, House has brought a knife to a knife fight. Yeah. I mean, which is really what the Trump administration is doing it's they're kind of bringing knives to or bringing guns to congressional knife fights and the Democrats meanwhile are complaining about we need to stick within the rules the knife fighting rules they won't even call it a gun yeah they won't even call it a gun <laughs> man I say the the only defensible can't upset argument, the moderate gun owners <laughs> that might be why that actually might be why Ted Lou said something Maybe he's just unfamiliar with the quote. I don't know. It's astonishing, though, that the White House would disrespect Nancy Pelosi like this. Like, she hasn't been saying every other week before the press that basically uh, the White House can just walk all over us because we're not going to do shit about it. And it's not surprising, therefore, to see... When shit has, uh, the wheels are starting to get in motion, but they can delay this. They can stonewall this, and there are only so many months before the election, yeah. and they should have known this right away, that uh, this would happen, and got the ball rolling yeah. basically in January. 
they could have done the same bullshit where they're like, well, technically it's an inquiry into the crimes of the president. We're open to impeachment, whatever. They could have taken the same mealy mouth line that you heard Nancy Pelosi give a week or so ago. They've waited too long. And now the president is stonewalling and, uh, well, look, all, can, the, all Ted Lieu can do is cry about it. The only defensible argument against impeaching the president, the only one, the only one I'll accept as legitimate is that Democrats are just completely incapable of doing it in any effective way. They would totally botch it. And we can't trust them as a party in this moment <laughs> to successfully or effectively <laughs> impeach the president without inciting a disaster. Yeah, that I I could that that holds some water to and he, me. And hearing Ted Lieu complaining that Republicans are bringing machetes to knife fights <laughs> affirms that argument. <laughs> they're they're bringing a switchblade to a knife fight. This is totally unfair. Totally ill-equipped to deal with this at the knife fight. <laughs> fight another knife. Uh, another story about. Well, I don't know if you want to call it systemic cluelessness because there is a logic to imperialism but anyway so gallup uh posted an analysis today comparing well-being in various countries and the percentage of afghans who expressed desire to leave expressed a desire to leave afghanistan is at 41 percent that's a new high in recent years and driving the trend is women who, according to Gallup, quote, for the first time are significantly more likely than men to want to leave. And it's worthy bringing up now because in, oh, I don't know, about two weeks, early next month, the United States will mark the 18th anniversary of the start of the war in Afghanistan. And uh, without a doubt, you're going to hear officials say, well, we need this war for feminism. <laughs> We need this war for uh, women's rights. We need U.S. troops in Afghanistan to convince the women to stay in Afghanistan. <laughs> Truly imperial logic there. All right, it's Monday, September 23rd, 2019. Here's the news. Demonstrators delayed rush hour traffic this morning in Washington to protest accelerating climate change and U.S. government complicity. It's unclear at this point if there was an official attendance estimate Media reports indicate that cops arrested 26 people. The demonstration started at 7 this morning and lasted several hours. Hell yeah, fuck up that rush hour traffic. Just snarl it. The action was organized by StrikeDC.org, a group comprised of local chapters of nationwide movements and organizations in recognition of the worldwide climate strike. 350 DC was involved, so were Black Lives Matter, DMV, Code Pink, Extinction Rebellion DC, and Metro DC DSA. Labor coalitions also took part. Yeah, I saw a friend of the show, Code Pink, founder, Medea Benjamin, dressed up like a bumblebee out there. <laughs> and no doubt uh, a nod to the dying bees yes. that are just fucking dying incredibly normally. At one point this morning, one of the most notorious hardliners in Trump's administration called for a crackdown by police. Ken Cuccinelli, acting head of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, tweeted, quote, This looks like a form of passive support by the police. <laughs> Cuccinelli also tweeted a photo of demonstrators holding a banner saying, Capitalism is killing the planet. 
The acting immigration had dismissed them as, quote, so-called global warming protesters. What they are really against is capitalism and freedom. It's a stark reminder that we live in an incredibly stupid authoritarian oligarchy. According to a top government official, if you criticize the system killing the planet, you are an enemy of freedom and should be roughed up by cops. Also, the guy saying this literally helps run migrant concentration camps. We also got a great glimpse today at some new facile conservative propaganda for the fossil fuel industry. Lindsay Fifield, a digital comms person for the Heritage Foundation, tweeted the following, quote, While hysterical activists hashtag shut down D.C., and scream into the void about climate change, hundreds of conservative activists have been going into cities across America and cleaning up tons of trash, actually doing something to clean up the environment, end of quote. I mean, saying that picking up litter is the proper way to address climate change is actually more insulting than outright science denial. Just go back to claiming it doesn't exist rather than being fucking uh, self-righteous, smug idiots and being like, well... If you just pick up litter, that will solve the uh, carbon emission problem. When I asked Lindsay, by the way, how much uh, the Heritage Foundation receives from oil companies, she blocked me Mm. on Twitter. Mm. So that's how that (laughs) ended up. I enjoyed uh, watching the Beltway journalists complain about how this isn't going to help your cause blocking traffic in D.C. First off, where... The protests were going on and the traffic being blocked. The only people who are driving to work in those areas. Incredibly rich assholes. Incredibly rich assholes. The rest of us are taking the metro at this time. Okay. There are metro stops accessible all over the place that were not blocked. Get a grip, dude. Also, when are these dipshits ever covering climate change? Never. Literally, people fucking mildly inconveniencing them has forced them to cover it. Moving on, Senate Democrats are demanding hearings on a whistleblower complaint alleging that Donald Trump pressured the government of Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. Don't see any problem with that. (laughs) In a letter to Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer accused the Republican-led Senate of helping the administration engage in a cover-up by shirking its constitutional responsibility to conduct oversight. All of this stems from a whistleblower complaint that was deemed credible by the Intelligence Community Inspector General. It came from someone, likely an intelligence analyst, who heard the phone call between Trump and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and claimed Trump essentially was using leverage of aid money to convince a foreign government to investigate a political opponent of his. Inspector General further described the complaint as a matter of urgent concern that related to the intel community's most significant responsibilities to the American people. A lot of Democrats are seeing this as more potential impeachment fodder. Chuck Schumer not going that far yet. He's calling on Mitch McConnell to convene hearings on the matter, to issue a congressional subpoena for the whistleblower complaint, and to subpoena a transcript of the president's call with the Ukrainian leader. Trump isn't really denying any of this. On Sunday, he admitted he talked to Zelensky about how he didn't want the Bidens to bring corruption to Ukraine, This is something Trump again repeated today on Monday. So this story has a number of things going on with it. Uh, Democrats are latching onto it because one, it's pretty fucked up and impeachment worthy, but mostly two, it's Russiagate adjacent, as in it involves the president seeking the help of a foreign government with an eye toward his next election. Never mind that Ukraine is not Russia. And in fact, (laughs) Ukraine is at war with Russia. 
But this story also shows why Joe Biden would be a truly awful nominee for all the reasons we've previously stated on this show, but also because his son was actually involved in shady things in Ukraine that probably should be investigated, meaning Democrats can't really go after Trump on this issue because he's kind of right, even though he's clumsily doing crimes while making his point. Back in 2014, Hunter Biden did get an extraordinary lucrative gig as a board member on a major Ukrainian energy firm called Burisma. Again, this was in 2014 when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States and charged with, among other things, U.S. policy toward Ukraine. Hunter was paid millions for serving on the board, just as the company's executives were being investigated for corruption by Ukrainian authorities. So this is what Trump has latched on to. I'm sure there's nothing to see here, but Joe Biden should just drop out just to be careful. I mean, maybe that uh, energy company was actually hiring Hunter Biden uh, for his expertise (laughs) on things. On like doing drugs and getting kicked out of the military? See, I was going to go there, but I'm not like... I know that not like, shaming him. I'm just noting. Yeah, you're just noting. I I just feel like I don't know. I'm I'm a little torn about this because on one hand drugs are fine, but on the other, uh, people who do cocaine just constantly interrupt people yeah. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a study that sounds sketchy as hell coming from the Trump administration. The Labor Department announced that it's seeking to collect information on public sector worker management. The request in today's Federal Register seeks to launch a 36-month study of, quote, employer services measurement approaches and metrics with a goal of understanding and implementing a final indicator of performance, end of quote. Per rules on agency info collection, the request is set to be considered by the White House Office of Management and Budget. Public comments on the proposal can be submitted on OMB up until October 23rd, wink, wink. Trump's Labor Department was formerly headed by Alexander Acosta, who recently resigned over his role in the granting of leniency to billionaire child abuser Jeffrey Epstein, R.I.P. Maybe. (laughs) Unless they snuck him out of prison using a body double or whatever. Let's be honest. I feel like that's a very reasonable footnote to make. Who the fuck knows? Anyway, Acosta's named replacement as secretary is none other than Eugene Scalia, the son of the dead Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, Mm. and Eugene's committee vote is scheduled tomorrow, actually. I'm glad uh, you reminded the audience that Scalia is indeed still dead. Yes. Antonin. Indeed. Uh, President Obama, he wasn't good at much, but his pillow assassination squad (laughs) certainly got the job done. At Eugene Scalia's confirmation hearing last week, Democrats denounced him due to his background as a corporate lobbyist and partner with a union-busting law firm called Gibson Dunn. In other words, Trump's Department of Labor uh, surely only has the best of intentions when it says it's looking to study public sector performance metrics. In other labor news, the administration also today officially rolled out an assault on graduate student unions. The National Labor Relations Board published a rule proposal in the Federal Register. The initiative, reported in news outlets late last week, seeks to exempt students from laws granting union rights. If said students perform paid jobs, quote, in connection with their studies, such as, quote, teaching or research. Now, for those unaware, colleges and universities in the United States uh, run very heavily on grad student labor, with grad students doing much of the work educating undergraduates, 
public comments on this proposal aren't due until November 22nd. Could say we have some homework. Yeah. Uh, well, let's be clear. Uh, the public comments aren't really going to make a difference at the end of the day. No. But, you know, sometimes it's nice to get a few things off your chest and get it on the public record. Finally today, the steady march toward media consolidation has been slightly checked momentarily. An appeals court in Philadelphia sided with public advocacy groups challenging deregulation coming out of the Federal Communications Commission. Under the right-wing leadership of IGIP Pai, the FCC in 2017 eliminated prohibition on cross-media ownership like broadcast station owners buying up the local newspaper or television station owners buying the local radio station, basically removing the barriers to Sinclair or Fox just owning all media all the way down. Well, since we live in a hell country that no longer enforces things like monopoly law or checks giant corporations in any way, the plaintiffs in the case, including Free Press, Common Cause, and the Communication Workers of America, had to adopt a different legal strategy, basing their case on how the FCC's deregulation cuts against its legally mandated responsibility to encourage diversity in media. They argued how women and minorities are drastically underrepresented in media ownership and how that problem gets worse under the sort of media consolidation allowed by relaxing cross-ownership rules. And the court bought it, ruling 2-1 in the group's favor, noting that the FCC didn't properly research the effects of its proposal. The court did cite the measly research the FCC did to justify its conclusion that deregulation would not hinder diversity. The judges wrote, quote, it was so insubstantial that it would receive a failing grade in any introductory statistics class, end quote. Dang, they're uh, cutting FCC Chairman Ajit Pai pretty deep there. And then he is going to appeal to the Supreme Court where Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who uh, almost certainly waved his dick at a woman of color at Yale, uh, will rule that actually it's fine the uh, FCC's new rules eviscerating media ownership. As I said, we live in a hell country. That'll do it for the newscast today on a not-so-hellish topic. Let's read some poetry. All new subscribers on Patreon, even a subscriber as low as $1 a month, gets their own haiku written for them and read on the air. Sam, you want to go first? This is for Hamer. No climate protests, just pick up litter instead. Sponsored by Exxon. Thank you, Hamer. Finally, this is for Matthew. Holding penalty. Oh, you liked that play too? Boom, holding penalty. Thank you, Matthew. Seems like the NFL is having a normal one. (laughs) It's off to a great start. I, I didn't watch yesterday. I was too busy watching Arsenal FC have a normal one. Yeah, I was watching that uh, as well. Let's get at some Maitland Niles action. He's cussing at the TV. I actually did pretty well yesterday. Had some uh, Wesley action, of course. Oh, shit. All right. That'll do it for the newscast. Thanks again to our subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel. Call the rant line 202 684 61 zero eight leave a message we'll play it on the air we are back tomorrow we're in dc so you don't have to be